This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. This is Roger LaPointe, and I have known Bob Whalen for many years at this point, and he is one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. Go MindForce Radio. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. Our first guest is Chris Lutz. He is from my neck of the woods the Washington, D.C. area. He is the founder and owner of the Sports Performance and Resistance Training Association, also known as SPARTA. He has a B.S. degree in exercise science from George Mason University, the same school I went to. He holds a high-intensity training personal trainer certification, and he has over five years' experience in managing a fitness training facility. Chris has earned the title of Master Trainer, he is the author of several books to help the fitness industry, and he has other services to help fitness pros as well. Please visit Chris's website at spartatraining.com. That's S-P-A-R-T-A training.com, spartatraining.com. Chris. Hi, Bob. Yeah, Chris is from the same neck of the woods as me. He's from the northern Virginia area, which is right outside Washington, D.C., and we both went to George Mason University, too. We had some of the same professors. And uh, he also has a really good friend that used to be one of my best clients, Al Coleman. So uh, I just got two quick questions for you, Chris. How was Dr. Ruling at George Mason? Is he still even there? He is not there, but he was great. Yeah, um, I loved his class when I took it. And you're right, um, you know, we were talking before we got on that he's, um, he was pretty tough. Uh, and that's true. He's a Michigan State guy. Um, that's where he came from. That was part of the reason why I named my company Sparta. That's one of my uh, favorite schools and favorite college hockey teams. So uh, I had a connection to him there. And um, I guess he retired a couple years after I graduated in 2004. But uh, I loved him. Him and um, also Dr. Miller, who was a epidemiologist, he was actually my advisor. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still there or not. But, uh, yeah, those are two great guys from GMU and the uh, exercise science um, department. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot from Dr. Ruling. He was one of the harder professors. I remember uh, one of his class. I mean, I took two or three classes with him, and they were all tough, but I learned a lot with him. And the uh, the next question is about your buddy, Al Coleman, young Albert Coleman. I knew Al when he was a kid, just out of high school. He probably was like 20 years old when I first started training him. And his, his parents signed him up with me, and his father used to say, Make sure you kick Al's ass. <laughs> it was so, it was so funny because I, I used to kick his ass. He was one of my favorite clients I ever trained because he was just a young, enthusiastic, tough kid with a great attitude, and uh, I liked him so much. I used to jokingly call him son. I think he probably told you that, but I I almost looked at Al as a foster son. I used to just I loved training him. He he made my job fun. You know. You know how you have some clients that you just love to train because it is so fun to train them? Well, Al was like that. He was like a it, – it was fun. I mean, I, I'd probably uh, pay him to train him. You know, and that, that's how it was so fun. 
And he always came back for more. I trained him brutally hard, and he loved every minute of it and came back for more. So, you know, he, he was a great guy. He spoke at a few of my clinics, and uh, he even made fitness his profession. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about that. But I know we talked earlier, but tell our listeners uh, what's the latest with Al. Yeah, um, we've lost a little bit of touch there for some time, but, uh, you know, we usually – catch up with each other every now and then but uh yeah he and i were pretty close for a while we worked together for a long time and he um trained with me for a short time before we both went to uh another facility uh and yeah and that that's exactly how he spoke to you uh pretty often too so i, I could tell you guys had that kind of kind of relationship he was um he was fun to work with and um uh you know it was, it was challenging to work with him but also you know we had some really good conversations he's um Really, really good at what he does, and really takes it seriously. I mean, just every his attention to detail is just unbelievable. And um, you know, he's, a, he's a very cerebral guy, and uh, you know, so we had a bunch of good long discussions. I think that made me um, better overall in the profession. I would say just having um, communication with him on a daily basis about you know little subtle nuances of what we could do to make things better. And uh, that's mainly, you know, what I would uh, commend him on is is just his cerebral nature with how he approaches what he does. And, um, yeah, I had a good time with him. We we were good friends. And, uh, you know, like I said before we got on, we spent probably 14 hours a day at work together some days. So, um, yeah, I I miss him. He's out in uh, Ohio now. And, um, you know, I'm still here in the D.C. area, so uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll catch up with him soon. Yeah, if you see Al, tell him to give me a call because I've kind of lost touch with him for the last few years. But um, I, I know he's doing great, though. I want to ask you about your organization. You own SPARTA, right, the Sports Performance and Resistance Training Association. Please tell us more about this and make sure you give us your web, your web address. Yeah, sure. SPARTA's uh, changed our vision in the last uh few years. We are almost seven years old now, so I started uh, at the end of 2007. Um, we have, right now, we have a, a store for personal trainers. It's spartatraining.com, and um, I used to have a staff of trainers and run a personal training um, business, and we worked mobily in the area, and we went to like five different locations, and I just, you know, got to the point where I recognized that I didn't really want to have that kind of business, and managing staff was something that was, you know, costing me sleep and that kind of thing, you know, worrying about who's going to show up at 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I'd already right. an internal certification for my staff, and people started asking me about it, and uh, then I made it for sale. So um, we had a uh, high-intensity training certification out there, and I've since developed that further and made it into three different levels and all kinds of stuff. But uh Primarily what I do now is um, help other fitness entrepreneurs and independent trainers or self-employed trainers with uh, their business management systems. So anything from sales and marketing to operational stuff to um, finance stuff even. I um, I was really good with organization and documenting our processes. You know, like I, I consider myself a, a businessman first. You know, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I happen to be an okay trainer too, I think. Um and but that's really my passion is being an entrepreneur you know i have several other businesses that i'm i'm interested in and i've got my hands in and um that that's really what i'm good at the internal operations of businesses so i was really good with organizing and documenting those things so everything i built for our business over the first probably 3 3 and a half years i just took it and white labeled it and made it for sale for any trainer so you know, if you don't want to sit down and write a, a 30 or 60 page employee handbook because you have to have one for your staff, well, you don't have to. You can just go in our store and buy ours and uh, take our name and logo off it and put in yours, and it's yours. And uh, they're all pretty standard, proven business practice type of stuff. So it's right there, available for everybody. And that's that's something I think is uh, sorely lacking in a lot of uh, uh, personal training businesses. Wow, that's pretty cool. I never really, you know, I should have checked into your organization more. I'm going to definitely do that now uh, because that stuff sounds pretty good. That's exactly what I usually need help with because I'm like the opposite. I'm a probably better, a better trainer than I am a businessman, but I'm trying to improve the business part of it. Uh, why don't you tell us about your, because I know on your um, 
I, I was looking at your uh, your website earlier, and uh, I know you're a, you're a big fisherman, and you also have a, a lures company, right? Yeah, yeah, I've uh, uh, been, you know, that's that's like an addiction I've had ever since I was a little kid. My dad got me into that, and, uh, you know, all my passions, I want to take them and turn them into businesses, or at least revenue streams or something, so... Um, <laughs> I have a, uh, a kayak fishing blog, and kayak fishing is uh, kind of a, a big trend. Like, if you still lived up here in D.C. and, and you drew, drove over the Key Bridge or something, it would be unbelievable the amount of paddlers down on the river you would see now. It's it's really helping to uh, revitalize the paddling industry. And um, so that's really what I'm into. I've designed my own kayak fishing rods and uh, lures that are our brand, and uh, I promote a bunch of other stuff that's out there and uh, written some stuff on it, too, of course. And uh, so that's that's one of my passions. Uh, I also have a website specifically for entrepreneurs, and that's any entrepreneur, uh, including fitness entrepreneurs. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've got several things I've started. And then, of course, a um, big thing we've been working on lately is uh, my company, Sparta, has pooled some resources with the IART, the International Association of Resistance Trainers, and Mike Lepowski up in New York, and Dwayne Wimmer from Vertex uh, up in Philly. And the three of us have formed the uh, Fitness Leaders Alliance, and we got a conference later this year in November. So that's that's a third thing my my company, Sparta, has, has contributed to. So, uh, yeah, I've got multiple businesses uh, all over the place that I've got my hands in. Chris, what is your definition of HIT or high-intensity training? Because, you know, right now with all the labels out there, it's interesting that you get so many different, you know, definitions of it. So, uh, you know, how do you define HIT? Yeah, that's that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Well, um, I would say probably much more broadly than some people do. I know a lot of people take a broad approach. You do yourself. Um, on our test, you know, like when I train uh, staff or um, if I'm mentoring somebody and I'm trying to educate them on this, I try to get them to be familiar with the history of it, where it came from, who you know, who are the major players involved, and. Particularly, you know, I, I consider HIT or high-intensity training the umbrella term, and then there's, like, subsets underneath that, and I ask them to identify what the subsets are. Um, and by subset, I mean it, it's kind of like a different sect in a religion, I guess you could say, where it's still part of the main thing, might agree on, you know, 90, 95, maybe 99% of stuff, but it's just slightly different, or it's it's its own well-developed philosophy unto itself. And within that, I would include things like um, Pete Sisko's uh, static contraction training. I really like that. You know, he wrote a whole book on that. Super slow is that way. Um, there's several camps with, you know, within the overall umbrella term that I think, you know, are, are subsets of high-intensity training, but all of it you could generally refer to as high-intensity training. And as far as what it encompass, encompasses is uh, – Usually, uh, intensity, obviously, that's the main variable that we uh, choose to employ or manipulate. And short duration, infrequent workouts, um, uh, usually full body workouts, a lot of people still do. Um, that's kind of some of the general characteristics that uh, uh, people use when they refer to uh, high-intensity training. I have one bigger umbrella over that, which is strength training. Then under strength training, I have high-intensity training as a major subset of strength training. The next question is similar to this. I guess if you had to label me, I'm probably the closest label to me probably would be hit, but I have a lot of other areas where I might not be hit exactly. One of my pet peeves with a lot of the hit guys is they never mention poundage. Uh, they always talk about effort, and you know effort's great. But if you if you have effort with light weight, it's not going to do anything. You might as well do push-ups. I mean, you know, if if you use light weight and go to failure, it's not going to do anything, in my opinion, right? So that's why I have no problem agreeing with people. That, well, you're not agreeing with, but you know, it's kind of a let, live and let live, and I don't get all upset over strength training because to me, if if someone's adding weight, then we can get along fine because that's pretty much, in my opinion, the most important thing. But um, 
some people think effort is the most important thing. So I just wanted to see where you came down on this. What do you think is m the most important thing for strength development, effort or poundage progression? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't phrase it as an either or. I think that's uh, probably where a lot of the miscommunication comes from. You know, that's uh, kind of fallacious thinking. You know, we have this either or reasoning. It's got to be one or the other. And uh, I, you know, as I've gotten older, this is definitely my age speaking. Uh, you know, five or six or maybe ten <laughs> years ago, I would not have said this. But but uh, um, you know, it's there's an interrelationship between all of the variables, you know, and, and some are more powerful than others. To us, we tend to believe, based on what we know currently, that intensity is a pretty powerful variable in terms of um, producing results. Um, and intensity, yeah, is usually, um, by most of us, defi defined as um, inroad divided by time, so uh, the, the level of fatigue you can reach in the shortest amount of time. And some people stick to that. Some people don't. Um, you know, I think there's there's a ton of miscommunication that that causes these uh, disagreements online and everything. And um, you know, there's there's some differences between something that feels hard and something that is intense and quick. Like, you know, uh, a, a, I mentioned a static contraction earlier. You know, I, I like that technique. I like it a lot. I did a lot of slow repetition, uh, super slow training when I was younger, and that is is draining, you know. And and some of them tend to use longer time under loads, and um, you know I think you you can overdo it with intensity or even just effort, you know, as you said. Uh, so I like things that are heavier, shorter duration, even as short as like you know it might even be like a five or ten second contraction or something. It could be that low, and that's very intense. Uh, everybody else in high-intensity training may not agree with that being intense, like a one-rep max is they wouldn't necessarily say is, quote-unquote, intense. Um, but, you know, perception is everything. You know, there's, it's hard to write about these things, you know, in text. So you know, there's a difference between things like moving slow, moving slow on purpose, moving slow by necessity, and moving slow but with an intent to move fast you know it's it's hard to define all those things and talk about them in print you know especially online in discussions so there's there's some subtle nuances there that i think can make things better or worse uh in terms of producing results but um overall i think there's you got to look at the big picture there's there's an interrelationship between all of the variables you know frequency intensity time and type all of those can be manipulated to some degree or another and and yeah i think you know i don't always train at a super high intensity before it used to be that way you know i would i would go a minute plus maybe up to two minutes or or even more in some exercises real slow repetitions and i think that stalled my progress for a while and you know when i started doing things that were uh significantly heavier a lot shorter duration a lot shorter time under load uh, I added some more. So, um, you know, it just all depends really on personal preference and your own experimentation, I think, with your own body and, and figuring out what's what's productive. But um, I prefer not to look at it as, as an either-or thing, but an interrelationship. You know, if you want to do a little more volume, great. I mean, you know, just realize that's probably going to take a little more time to, uh, to recovery. It's probably going to be marginal, for you know, marginal results, if anything, for the uh, time that you put into it. It's not like if you do three times the volume, you get three times the result. Um, and intensity, you know, don't want to be so dogmatic about that either. You know, if you're always grinding yourself into the ground, yeah, you're going to have to, like, work out, like, one time a month. And that, that, to me, is incredibly unbalanced. You know, we've all heard the guys say that they, uh, you know, they train once every 28 days or something like that. You know, to me, that's just, um, that's a little out there. That's that's so unbalanced that something's not right. Maybe you're overdoing it a little bit. And, yes, it, it is possible that that could be done with intensity, I believe. Yeah, when I first heard that, I thought it was a joke. But there really were or maybe still are people who believe in that. I mean, they train once and take two or three weeks off. So uh, that I didn't believe that at first, but it is true. There are some people who actually believe that stuff. I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. You don't have to have an either-or. The way I define it is my pet peeve is some of the hit people 
never talk about poundage. I usually train to failure. I agree with what you said. I consider poundage as part of intensity also. Like I don't, I don't look at effort as intensity and then poundage not intensity. I look at poundage as part of intensity. So the way I define intensity, it's the, the amount of work you do per unit of time. So for me, the unifying factor, that's what I try to do is to unify the groups, you know, because if someone's doing dinosaur training or high-intensity training or cleans and jerk or lifting up rocks or logs, or I don't give a damn what you're doing, right? It's, to me, the unifying factor that makes all of us united that we're all in strength training is poundage progression. So, like, if you're training to be a power lifter or a strongman or any type of competitive event where you're going to be doing a one rep max, then you don't you don't have to go to failure. You're probably not gonna. But you know, you're only going by poundage. So it depends on what your goal is, also. But the most time efficient way to train, I definitely agree with you. That's why I train my clients that way, and because they're paying by time. And usually now for myself, I'm not competing anymore. I, I almost always train myself high intensity also. I think it's, you know, one set to failure is how I train now. And uh, for my philosophy, I think that intensity is four things. It's poundage progression. It's going to failure. It's having stricter form because you should always have good form. But the more emphasis you put on form, which could include speed of motion, and the other one is, you know, rest between sets. But just like you, you said, you can manipulate all four of those ways. Some people manipulate the rest. The, some of the hit people, they manipulate the rest, and they make the workout more intense. Some people manipulate the form with the speed of motion. They, they're extreme on the form, which is the speed of motion, and they manipulate that. That's a balancing act. You can't have all four areas up. You know, it's like a seesaw. One's going to come down when one goes up. The strength might come down when you manipulate the speed or you or the, take away some rest. It, but it's all strength training. But to me, the unifying factor of all four ways is is the poundage progression. So yeah, that, that's why the slow people, I'm not anti-slow. I think slow is great. It works. I do it sometimes. I don't do it all the time, but I, I've done it for months and I even tried it one time for like a year or so nonstop. I've done 10, 10, 8, 8, 5, 5. I have my clients do it. I switch back and forth. I do it as a change of pace, but I, I, I don't like it all the time because I'm more of a poundage guy. I mean, I, I enjoy lifting heavy weights, and I enjoy ramming up heavy weights, and that's what I like, you know? So to me, it's whatever you enjoy, but what unifies us, even if you're training slow, you still have to add weight or you're not going to get anywhere. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> if you're going... Go ahead. You said something there that uh, you know, reminded me. Uh, I have a question on our test where, you know, the um, I say the biggest major determining factor in, like, a client's progress in resistance training is what? You know, well, the name of the activity tells you what the important factor is. The resistance or, or strength training, however you want to refer to it, but resistance training, it's it's obviously the resistance. Yeah, so that's that's the biggest part of it, you know, in the long run. It's true. And also, yeah, um, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest weaknesses in our in terms of our philosophy and just general high intensity training overall is kind of the long term view. You know, there's there's not really a great plan for uh, long term progress, and and like you were saying. Uh, on the call, or before we got on the call, that, uh, you know, if you're a veteran and you've been doing this for 40, 50, 60 years, um, you know, you're going to have to manipulate some stuff over time. You, you can't always make intensity go up, and you can't always make volume and frequency go down. You can't work up to nothing, right? Like, I mean, eventually you'd be doing one exercise, and then what do you do when one exercise is too much? <laughs> you know, you can't go down from that. So you, you have to make it uh, sometimes you're focusing on some things, and, and as you said, yeah, w one thing goes up, that's going to uh, ha have some kind of a play on the other variables, and there's that interrelationship, and you just have to manage that over the long term. I can't see how some people get so upset over this stuff when it, it, it all depends on what your goals are. It's all, um, and if someone likes doing cleans and jerks, like, who cares? Do them. You know, like, I'm not going to fight over it. It's like I don't do them because my background's not in Olympic lifting. I, I don't. I've done them, but 
it's more it's a lot of skill to do it and uh, I don't usually do them myself but who cares I'm I'm not going to uh, stop talking to someone because they do them, you know? <laughs> like, I, I actually was, was at a NSCA, con- this is a true story. I was at a National Strength and Conditioning Association uh, conference about 20 years ago in the 90s. And uh, a pretty famous guy who's written books about and theses is about, and he, he's in, in a big organization, I'm not going to say who he is, but he's the most pro-power clean guy you can imagine, right? And um I was sitting next to him and talking to him for like two days. You know, you know how you you know you just end up sitting next to somebody and you take breaks with them and you're walking around the place and everything. And we, I get along with him real good. Finally, after like two days of talking to him and getting along great, he goes, "You power clean, don't you?" Because <laughs> I started saying some things that made me sound like hit or whatever. I was like talking about going to failure and things like that and then whatever. And all of a sudden, his facial expression changed, and he goes, <laughs> you power clean, don't you? I said, well, I've done them before, and I have nothing against them, but uh, I, I normally don't do them myself. And he walked away. <laughs> okay, I'm not, I'm not joking. So I'm just telling you, you, you know about this field. I mean, the strength training field, there's a lot of weird people in this field, so you know, and so some of the most well-known people are weird, you know, so, uh, you know, some funny stories anyway. So uh, I, I don't take it personal. If someone doesn't agree with what I say, I don't give an F, okay? Do what you want. I'm just telling you what I believe. Well, you know, just yeah. like before the show, I, I'd much rather argue with you about our liberty and the way our country's going than about strength training. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I personally don't care what anybody does in their personal lives. Um you know, in terms of what you're delivering professionally to uh, the public, that might be a different story. And, and it's certainly a different story uh, the way a court would see it. God forbid something bad should happen. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you're right. It's it's very – there's there's a lot of little factions and stuff. In it. And to me, I think that's a, that's a real short-sighted view. You know, that's, that's a big uh, uh, point for us in the Fitness Leaders Alliance is to – you know, see the bigger picture, take a longer term view. You know, none of us are going to do this alone. You know, there's there's still the vast majority of the public that refuses to exercise, you know. So, like, it, it would be good if we could get a positive message out there in force, you know, and especially with people that, like you said, we agree with 95% of stuff on. We should not be fighting each other. We should be uh, coming together. We should be congealing into more of a, a team or a focused uh, effort or a focused message or something like that. And, and instead of, you know, tearing each other down all the time, we should uh, we should be helping to prop each other up and support each, each other. So, yeah, all the um, the infighting and that kind of thing is a very, very short-sighted view, in my opinion. To me, as long as, as, long as someone wants to lift heavier weights, then we're brothers. You know what yeah. I mean? If, if they don't care about lifting heavier, then you're not doing strength training. You're doing something else, so you're not doing what I do. The next question is something that's been a lot of uh, – it's kind of a hot topic. We talked about it before we uh, were starting the recording here. But if you go on the Internet, another, another one of these arguments going on in the field is about stretching before strength training. You know, we all agree that we warm up. Yeah, I don't mean warming up. We all warm up. Uh, we, you know, elevate our core body temperature. I mean stretching. And, I'm, and I don't mean stretching just any time. I mean stretching before you strength train. What is your opinion on this, Chris? Uh, what I think now, I think most of us, you know, in our community never really did a whole lot of stretching prior to starting clients and workouts. Um, maybe that was just something we, you know, kind of, uh, had in in our philosophy, or never had in our philosophy, or just kind of intuitively knew that it wasn't, uh, you know, a, a protective mechanism. I think that's most of the assertions for stretching before exercise, like specifically uh, strength training, have to do with like protecting from injury, right? Um, and right. Or, or even you know violent activities like football or something like that. And, and actually, ironically, uh, we talked about Dr. Ruling while I was. Still in his class, we did talk about this a little bit. Some uh, newer data has come out over the recent years, and it, it's not—it's not anything major, groundbreaking. Like, yes, you should do this, or no, you should not do this. It's—it's it's pretty marginal, but it's—it's uh, it's 
seemingly rather clear that it is not a protective mechanism. It, it won't stop injuries from happening. Um, you know, I think the the study we looked at in that class had to do with uh, football, and you know, uh, obviously, you know, the the guys that were injured in football were um, it was from trauma mostly, not from you know lack of range of motion or flexibility or something like that. Most of the injuries occurred within the range of normal range of motion, so um, stretching really didn't have anything to do with it. So it's it's not a protective mechanism. There might be other things going on there, maybe on a microscopic level that might be of some benefit. But generally, I think stretching beforehand. Uh, I don't think there's a huge benefit to that, um, if any. And I have seen a little bit of information. I think there was the one with the, uh, I want to say it was Australian um, Army privates that were stretching before PT and uh, or not stretching before PT. And there was like 3,000 of them, so it was a big sample size. And the ones that didn't stretch before uh, did just fine. The ones that did stretch before uh were almost the same. They had a very, very slight, slight higher incidence of injury. So there might be some marginal higher incidence of injury if you stretch beforehand. But, you know, almost none of that matters. When you're dealing with clients, you know, if if they've got this in their head, you know, again, I, I said before, perception is everything. So if they think it's going to help them prevent an injury – by stretching beforehand, they're they're going to do it, you know. Uh, and you don't want to invalidate their beliefs, you know. You don't want to have a little conflict with uh, with customers. So um, <laughs> to me, it's you know, if somebody wants to do it, great. If they don't want to do it, great. I don't think it's harmful uh, either way. But if somebody does want to do it, I try to get it to where they'll do it afterwards. Or um, I use a model like uh, Dr. Westcott used in one of his books, where he'll do a set of an exercise, like, like let's say the pullover, you hold on, you do a stretch for that body, just worked for 20 seconds. And there's some of that evidence that can show that that can actually contribute a little bit to strength gain. Um, so I, if at all, I try to do it either right after the exercise for the muscles worked or, you know, a five-minute full-body 20-second stretch per muscle group uh, at the end of the workout. You just said something interesting because uh, when you have clients – and you do this for a business, sometimes you have to uh, do things that you don't completely agree with to cover your own ass for liability purposes. And I'll tell you something funny that I do, and usually when I first see a client, until you get to know them, you know, you don't joke around that much. And then once you get to know them, you can joke around a little bit. So after I've trained clients for a while and they know me and I know them, uh, usually at the beginning of the workout, when they first come in, I have them do three stretches just to cover my ass. So we usually do the warm-up, five minute on the stairmaster, usually just to break a sweat, nothing hard, just to elevate the body temperature. Then I have them do three easy stretches, and uh, after I know them a little while, I call them the bullshit stretches. <laughs> <laughs> So I say, like Al, like Al, go do your three bullshit stretches. But if you don't want to do them, I don't care, you know. <laughs> but at the beginning, I, I I just make them do them to cover myself. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlarginine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at VitalNutritionStore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. 
It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees' understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com he will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs a program right for you bob will give you feedback after every workout this is old school fitness and nutrition no fads and no gimmicks bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied so visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let bob help you reach your best self webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, Honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, Iron Game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I R O N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on Mindforce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on MindForceRadio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on Mindforce Radio.
for myself, okay, I never do it. I, I'll tell you, I can't even remember the last time I stretched. Way back, probably in the 1970s, I stretched, but <laughs> I I instinctively knew. It, I didn't need science to tell me that. And and what is science anyways? It's some guy's opinion. I'm science, you know? I mean, you're science. If you study long enough and you take classes and you're and you um, make a name for yourself, you are your science. I mean, some guy with a PhD who paid for a degree or who sat in the chair long enough, he's science. I mean, so it's just some guy's opinion, and we're all trying to improve science. So you and me are science also. But it's you know it's uh, and a lot of that is trial and error. A lot of that is what we figure out in our own laboratory. I mean, when we're training clients, if I've been training training people for thirty years, that's 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 science. It's my own. It's my laboratory. But it's also with what I'm doing myself. And I instinctively knew, just even when I was powerlifting, I just knew that uh, stretching didn't help me. It's like, why do you want to have your legs and knees loose like Gumby if you're going to be putting, you know, four or five hundred pounds on your back and doing squats? It doesn't make sense. So we almost have this. Uh, we almost have a prejudice against tightness. And, and we kind of favor looseness. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you're always supposed to be loose. Maybe for some things you are, but for some things you're supposed to be tight. I mean, when a bulldozer goes and picks up, you know, you go to a construction site. If that bulldozer was loose, would it? it no, the bulldozer's tight and it's picking the stuff up with these hydraulic tight arms. I mean, it has to be tight to pick up heavy stuff. So. You know, so um, but I'm glad they're they're looking at this now and not always thinking that being loose is better. It's not. Chris, we have time for one more question. So I want you to tell our listeners about the several books that that you've written and where they can buy them. Oh yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. So uh, 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 every book I've written is is online uh, on Amazon.com or in the uh, Kindle store. Um, some are paperback books some are uh ebooks strictly uh i've got a couple of books for the fitness industry um one of them is start operate and grow your personal training business and that one i also have available on my site sportstraining.com and i also have a newer one which is uh the business of personal training and that's uh, i just finished updating that so it's kind of an expanded version of start operate and grow your personal training business and uh i that, that encompasses every business system that uh, I've created for our business, and I got much longer, detailed sections on finance, personal finance, uh, health insurance for personal trainers, um, all kinds of stuff. Anything that you can imagine uh, as needing to run a uh, um, uh, personal training business as a legitimate business is in there, and. Uh, there's even a, a couple of 10-part video courses on getting published, like you know, writing your own book or getting published elsewhere in the industry, uh, as well as how to build a better blog uh, for your business. So lots of new updated stuff in there. Those are the two uh, business books for the industry. I have a bunch of others that I've written about um, you know, metabolic resistance training that's essentially uh, a high-intensity type of training, um, some others with uh, meal plans, uh, an intensity-based home workout, resistance training for golf, 25 advanced resistance training techniques. That's a good one. Uh, you know, I, I took a lot of the points from some of the subsets in high-intensity training that we were talking about earlier and uh, mm -hmm. mentioned those as advanced techniques. So, you know, you, we talk very generally about high-intensity training and specifically some of the advanced things you can do, like infometric, uh, isometronic, I, I, isometric contractions at all, like static contraction training, um, slow reps, um, l low duration reps, high, high reps, that's all, all kinds of different things that you could possibly do um, and usually manipulate the intensity uh, as part of that. So there's, uh, I don't know how many I have. I've got, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 books or something like that. So they're all available on Amazon under my name if you just search Chris Lutz, and uh, it'll come up. And what's the website again if they want to go right to your website? 
SpartaTraining.com. Chris, I just want to thank you so much for the good information, and uh, thanks a lot for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bob. It's been uh, good to connect with you and uh, good to catch up. Thank you. Coming up next, we have our U.K. correspondent, Ted Harrison. Ted's been on the show many times before. He owns Vital Exercise, a private personal coaching studio in Colchester in the U.K. If you live anywhere near Colchester, you've got to go see Ted and get some great training from him. For more information, go to his website. It's vitalexercise.com. That's V-I-T-A-L exercise.com. And, Ted, buddy, it's great to have you back on the show again. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me on the show again. Um, I just want to take a moment to talk about uh, form, specifically poor form. Um, you know, the many people out there listen to this podcast with, um, with many years of training experience under their belt, but there's also plenty of people who are just starting out. So uh, for anyone starting out, or for anyone listening, actually, you need to consistently give yourself a form check as far as your training. It's absolutely vital. It's a fundamental principle upon which all other training principles are resting. Good form. I mean, it's as simple as this. I mean, if you're injured, you can't train. Of course, if you can't train, you can't progress. So form is vital. Many people believe that uh, rep speed alone, uh, nowadays they believe that rep speed alone is the be-all and end-all of good form. But of course, that's incorrect. You know, a controlled rep speed alone is, is no guarantee of good form. There's plenty of other requirements. Um, if you're using free weights, the, the bar path, joint alignment, body positioning for machines, seat positioning, seat back positioning, many, many other factors go into form. I mean, it's a science, and it needs to be studied and applied to your own individual body. And a, a person should select exercises or movements based on his unique body structure. Uh, you see a lot of kids nowadays, they're, they're, they're uh, choosing their exercises based on you know, the superstar bodybuilder that they love or a strength athlete that they're following. Um, I mean, that's fine if it's safe. If it's safe for you and it works, that's fine. But if, if it isn't and it hurts you, then ditch it. Find a movement that suits you, you know, and allows you to train without getting hurt. Um, you, you need to always think long-term, uh, regardless of how long you've been training, you should always think long-term in regards to your training and exercise selection. Um, and when you're younger, you can get away with um, doing a lot of things that, you, that will catch you up as you get older. You know, and I've, I've accumulated many injuries over 40 years of training. That's really what's prompted this um, little discussion. You know, most of them, most of the injuries I've, I, uh, I've accumulated were a result of training when I was much younger, in the first sort of five to ten years of my training. Um, things like bouncing out the bottom of a squat, I mean, that has, you know, that has affected my knees and my lower back. Um, excessive stretching while doing dumbbell flies has compromised my shoulder joints. Same thing with, with the press behind the neck. I mean, I, I can't sleep. Now, with either arm raised up under the pillow, you know, I have to have a small pillow to support uh, my, my left shoulder in particular. And I think really that, that was a lot of that problem was, was from uh, excessive use of the press behind neck. That, that was a, that was a you know, much publicized and pushed movement when I, was, when I first started um, uh, training. And you know what? It did work. It's a, it, it actually worked. It gave me some size and it gave me some strength. But, but the downside was it really hurt my shoulders. And if I, if I were to switch to using dumbbells with my palms facing or even just standard military presses to the front, I don't think I'd have the problems that I'm having now. Um, so, you know, you need, you need to, to keep an eye on your form and to give yourself a, a, a form refresher on occasion, uh, in my opinion. Two good books uh, out there which are worth a read are Stuart McRoberts' Inside a Handbook on Weight Training Technique. That's very good. And so is Bilby Simone's Moment Arm Exercise. They're both very thorough, and you can learn an awful lot of, um, on good form from these books. Uh, I certainly have. And then based on this knowledge that you've, that you've learnt, you should video yourself when you're training. It's very, very uh, easy to do now. Just video, get someone to video you when you're doing your, your main basic exercises, and then you can critique yourself 
<laughs> on the computer screen and uh, correct any form mistakes and um, save yourself some injury in the future. Uh, so, regardless of whether you're just starting out or you, or you have been training for a long time, give yourself a form check on a regular basis. Um, really, it's important to remember that training is supposed to enhance your life and not detract from it. So, keep safe with your training. Okay, Bob, that was just a quick one. Thanks for having me on again. Take care. Bye. Thanks a lot, Ted. You always give us great information. Even though I generally despise commercial gyms, every now and then I'll go to one just for a change of pace when I feel kind of stale. I just pay about 20 bucks for the daily rate, and then usually after just one workout, I'm so happy to get the hell out of there and train on my own in my own gym again, in my garage with my great equipment without having to look at all these a-holes. The other day I was in this gym down the street, and I thought it was in the middle of a wildlife sanctuary or a bird watcher's paradise. You could have called it the National Audubon Society Gym because this place was filled with flamingos. Don't be a flamingo, you have to do your squats. Don't be a flamingo, real lifters work their legs. That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion, and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at mindforceradio at earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time.